Well, please join me now in 1 Corinthians. We're going to start a brand new series of messages. If you're new to the Bible, we have a Bible right in front of you there in the rack. And on page 895, you'll find the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, a series we're beginning today that we're calling Real Church. And today we're going to take on the question, what is a church from the text that we have? This week, our U.S. Surgeon General released a report where he talked about the epidemic of loneliness. Perhaps you saw that. It was in the news for a couple of days this week, and I looked into that. I thought it was very interesting that our government released this report. Listen to the sampling of headlines. L.A. Times, loneliness is an epidemic, and the health risks are profound, U.S. Surgeon General warns. Or this CBS News report, Surgeon General declares loneliness epidemic, saying it poses risks as deadly as smoking. And I read a little bit of that report, and on that smoking parallel, they said loneliness can damage a person's body on par with a person who smokes 15 cigarettes a day. That caught my attention. So great damage done to individuals when they're isolated from other people. Interestingly, in this government report, they did single out churches as part of the solution. In fact, they made the connection. They saw how the corresponding decrease of church involvement through the, the, the days over the last recent years, then with the corresponding increase in loneliness and isolation. So I appreciated that they understood that this is part of the problem, people being disconnected, disconnected from communities of faith. Also, they rightly notice what we already know is there are forces in the culture driving us all apart rather than pulling people together. And this was also interesting that they said our devices and social media, this has not brought people together. This has further isolated people. So that's not what we would have expected. It seemed like such a great idea to have social media. That would be a way to stay connected. But the more we have that, the, le the, the least that people or the less that people get together in person. So there is a loneliness epidemic. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be talking about churches, and we know that a church exists for far more than just alleviating loneliness. But it does do that. In fact, think about it with me. God has two communities he intends for every person to be a part of that will deal with this and so much more. First of all, God's ideal is that every person will be a part of a healthy family. Now, we know that's not the reality for everybody, but that's the design of God, that you would be a part of a healthy family. But also, God's design is that everybody would be a believer in Christ and be a part of a healthy church. And that's what we're aspiring to be here at Staples Mill Road Baptist Church. We want to be healthy. We want to be a real church, as we're going to talk about over these months to come in this series. We want to be everything that God calls for a church to be. But also, we want this to be a place, when you experience church here, that you find it life-giving, that you would find this fellowship to be encouraging, that you'd find this fellowship to be supportive, that we'd be a unified body of believers, a growing body of Christ. But a healthy church, we all know, doesn't just happen. It's very easy for churches to drift into unhealth. In fact, if you've been searching for a church, you might find that it looks like it's more, it's more easy to find an unhealthy church than it is to find a healthy church. And really, that's our context in our study of 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to a church that has so quickly become unhealthy. 
In Acts chapter 18, we learn how the church at Corinth had been planted. It was planted around the year A.D. 51. And now just four years later, A.D. 55, Paul is writing this letter to now a deeply troubled, unhealthy church. And among the reasons why we look at the church at Corinth as unhealthy, problems like these. It was a church racked with divisions within, which we'll see next time. A church that was full of pride. And as we're going to see, they had no reason to be prideful with all their problems. It was a church also marked by sexual immorality. A church full of disorder, theological error, and a profound lack of love for each other. So lacking in love that the Holy Spirit had to inspire Paul to write 1 Corinthians 13 because they needed to learn what love was. So he's going to address these problems, but first he's going to remind them what they are as a church, who they are as a church, and it's going to be thrilling to see what they are. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 1 through 3. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to address the problems, but first, who they are in Christ and who they are in Christ is quite impressive. So let's look together at what a church is this morning, just from these opening verses. First of all, a church is a community of believers who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What's a church? A church is a community of believers who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's going to talk about himself being called as an apostle, but let's first consider he was first called to be saved. So how did this man who was once an unbeliever, become a believer and become an apostle? We had the same question for ourselves. How, how could I have once been lost, an enemy of God, and now I belong to him, and now I find myself serving him? So perhaps you know Paul's testimony. We read about it in places like Acts chapter 9. This is when it happened, when Paul, a very religious man, hated the idea of Jesus. He was on his way one day to Damascus to arrest Christians. This is how opposed he was to this new faith of Christianity. He wanted to stamp it out. And on that way to Damascus to persecute Christians, Jesus intercepted him. And this is what stunned Paul. Instead of Jesus destroying him, a persecutor, Jesus extended mercy to him, grace to him, and saved him. Maybe you have the same thought in your mind. What am I doing being a believer in Jesus Christ? Why did he extend such grace to me? Why didn't he just destroy me like I deserve because of all of my sins? But here he has forgiven me, adopted me, brought me into his family. How good and merciful is he? And so before we get to Paul's call to be an apostle, let's marvel together with Paul, his call to salvation. And let me remind you that same call is being offered to you today. A call to become one of God's own. A call to have your sins forgiven. The same offer that was made to Paul is now an offer made to you. That you cannot experience condemnation. You can be one who experiences salvation if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me remind you that God is the one initiating this. This is God's idea to forgive you of your sins if you'll trust in Jesus. In fact, it's God's idea that you're here today. 
Maybe somebody invited you to this church. Why did that happen? That's because God put it on that person's heart to invite you to come. This is God initiating, maybe through a loved one in your life, that you might hear this good news, that you can go from one who's full of sin to be completely forgiven. One who was outside the family of God to being now in the very family of God now and forevermore, this is God calling you to himself. So Paul experienced that. Well, he mentions another name here. This is an unusual name, the name of Sosthenes. Here's a man who also was once an unbeliever, who became a believer there in Corinth. This man, Sosthenes, had actually been the leader of the Jewish synagogue in Corinth. So let's read together about the, the beginning of the church in Corinth. We read this from Acts chapter 18, verse 4 and following. And he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that, that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, his house was next door to the synagogue. Listen to this. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So that's the founding, the planting of the church in Corinth that we read about there. But the church was planted in the context of hostility. Because in Acts 18, verse 12, we read this. Before Gallio was proconsul of, but when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. People are getting saved in Corinth. They're getting baptized. People are upset. Paul's called before the authorities. Then we read this in Acts 18, verse 16. And he drove them from the tribunal and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. A lot going on here, but in the founding of the church, there was persecution happening immediately there in Corinth. And this man Sosthenes that Paul mentions here in the greeting, he was one who had come to faith. He had become the ruler of the Jewish synagogue after the previous ruler of the synagogue had become a Christian. We're told he's Crispus. Crispus comes to Christ. He gets kicked out of the synagogue. They have to have another leader. Sosthenes becomes the leader of the synagogue. He then too follows Jesus as his savior. He gets kicked out and he gets beaten. But all this we're talking about is the grace of God. Paul, a former persecutor, he's now a believer. He's now an apostle. Men like Sosthenes did not know Jesus. The gospel came to Corinth. They believed. Now they belong to Jesus. But now Paul does indeed talk about a second calling. What do you first hear of being called as an apostle? Back to verse one. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So here's Paul. In addition to this calling to salvation, he received another relevant and gracious call from God to be an apostle. He says, this is the will of God in my life. For Paul, this is a statement of humility, meaning I did not seek this designation for myself. I'm as surprised as anybody that I'm an apostle. A statement of humility. There's also a statement of authority. Because here's a troubled church that he started, that he's now writing to some years later to correct these problems here. And so he's letting them know that I have authority to speak to you about these things. So what is an apostle? Well, that word has two meanings. First of all, a functional meaning and also a positional meaning. 
And both were true in the life of Paul. So the word apostle literally means one who is sent out. So we could say of the original disciples and Paul, they had been commissioned and sent out by Christ. And so that's a functional use of the word. We could even say of modern missionaries today, they've been sent out to another place with the gospel. We could call them apostles accurately. Now we don't because it would bring confusion because they think maybe we mean this positional use. Because the ultimate word of apostle, the way Paul's using it here primarily is, he's one who had been with Christ. His occasion with Christ was on that Damascus road. The risen Christ, the ascended Christ appears to him on the road. That's when he came to know Christ. And in that meeting, he was commissioned as one of the apostles. That carried authority. And there's nobody living today who can rightly use the term apostle, meaning that. There are no apostles today in this biblical sense of one with authority in the church. But that hasn't stopped people from naming themselves apostles in some of the churches. I've seen billboards before advertising the church and the, the pastor calls himself apostle something. And I always think that's kind of an ego trip. I don't know them. Maybe it's just their church tradition. They use those lofty labels. So I'll try to back off of the judgment there. But I, I could never apply that term to myself with any seriousness. So I wondered, is anybody, is anybody still doing this? And so I Googled this week in the office, church, Richmond, apostle. And I came up with a couple of churches really fast where their leader calls himself, not catch this, not just apostle, but chief apostle. Oh my. So you're not only taking this term that I don't think you can apply to yourself. You're calling yourself apostle, but man, you're, you're even higher than Paul. You're a chief apostle. And I'm sure they don't mean that. I don't know what they mean by that, but this is something that I could just not imagine doing. But notice what Paul says here. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Again, Paul's just as surprised as anybody that that term would apply to him. In fact, let's fast forward a moment to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to get to this in a few months, but 1 Corinthians 15, this topic of his apostleship comes up. Listen to the humility of Paul about using that term. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Paul said, this is all by grace. What am I doing being a believer after I tried to persecute the church? What, what am I doing being chosen by him to be one of the apostles? I'm not worthy of that title. And it's, by contrast, interesting to see people quite eager to apply the term apostle to themselves. So God's not going to call you to be an apostle. He's not going to call me to be one because they, they're not around today. You had to be with Christ in that first century to be one of those apostles. But listen, God will call you to salvation. And I pray you're ready to respond to that call. He loves you. And God can call you into ministry. In fact, all of us are called to serve him. Some are called into special ministry roles. Sometimes we call that vocational ministry. In fact, I hope it's on your radar that God could call you into some ministry. You, you have a career that you do, and God may give you an additional calling that might cause you to change your plans into something else. I, in fact, I want to just tell you full disclosure, I pray for this all the time. And in our Wednesday night prayer team that meets over here in this corner on, on Wednesday nights, it's one of the things we regularly pray for. God, would you call out more from this church into ministry and missions? So just know I'm, I'm working. I hope you don't feel like I'm working against you. <laughs> I'm pulling for you that you would step into whatever God calls you to do. So maybe it is to be a missionary. 
that you would sense this calling. You know there's a need. People have not heard the gospel in many, many places around the world. Still missionaries are needed. That you would say, Lord, I'm willing to go if you're calling me. And the church can help you discern if God's calling you. But first, you would indicate, I, I sense God might be calling me. Maybe God would call you to be a pastor doing something like what I do. Or maybe it's to be a student pastor. Maybe to be a Christian counselor. Maybe to be a worship leader. But however he's calling, you're going to want to embrace that. You're like the rest of us. I'm not worthy of a calling like that. But Lord, if you're calling, I know you'll give me what I need. I'll step into that. So we're just talking about grace. What is a church? It's a community of believers who've experienced the grace of God. We see that in Paul's life. We see it in Sosthenes. Paul mentions it in the Corinthians themselves. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Notice, when God calls somebody to salvation, he brings them into the body of Christ. When Paul writes to the believers in Corinth, he's not writing to a bunch of scattered people scattered throughout the city. He's writing to the church in Corinth. These individual believers and households that were saved, they've grouped themselves into a New Testament church there in Corinth. And Paul writes to them, not scattered, but gathered believers. This is the plan of God. When he saves you, he puts you into a local church, which we'll talk about in a moment. So what is a church? It is a group of gathered people who have experienced the grace of God. Secondly, the church is people, not a building. The church is people, not a building. So we have the word church here in our text. In the Greek language, it's the word ekklesia. So we see the word calling going a lot in these three verses. In fact, even in the word church here, ekklesia, the word call is right in the heart of that. It's a gathering of people who've been called together. And it actually was a secular word that, that was then applied to the church. It was used in the Roman Empire for gatherings of people. Even in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, that word ekklesia was used for gatherings of the Jewish people. So it was a word that people knew about, but this was the word that they, they used to describe themselves as New Testament believers. So a church that is a called out and called together assembly of God's New Testament people. A church is the people of God that he's called himself out of the world. Again, the point is the church is the people, not any building that they may or may not have. Maybe you know that for the first 300 years of church history, they did not have special church buildings. Remember when the church first was born there at Pentecost, the churches would meet there in the temple there in Jerusalem. And as they scattered across the Roman Empire, they'd meet in homes or somewhere else. There were no church buildings. And even to this day, when new churches are started, they don't typically start with a building. Maybe they'll go meet in a school or they'll meet in a hotel ballroom, or maybe they'll meet in a storefront, or they'll meet outside somewhere. But they all long, to it, long for at some point, most of these churches think, one day we're going to need our space, we're going to need a building. So we are very grateful for these resources that we have as a church. We love having a place to meet and to train up people to send out into ministry, but, but it's not about the buildings that we know. In fact, recently I learned about a Southern Baptist house church movement in Memphis. I didn't even know they were there, but there they are meeting from house to house. It's a Southern Baptist church kind of meeting home to home. And they're doing such a good job in making disciples. They have sent out several medical missionaries to some of the most difficult places on earth. You say, what can a church do without a building? Apparently pretty well. If God's in it, they can make great disciples, equip them well, launch them out and making eternal difference 
in amazing places. I learned about another one of these house church movements, a Southern Baptist house church movement in another town in Alabama. Well, what can a church in Alabama do without a building? Apparently quite well. They're also sending people out through IMB to serve in some difficult places around the world. Again, the point is the buildings are great. We are very thankful for them. It really enhances us, but it's not about the buildings. The church is us. It's people. Here's a third point about church. A church belongs to God and not to us. Notice verse 2 again. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Every true church is a church that belongs to God. So we would understand ourselves. We are His church. We are God's people. So about yourself, understand this identity. Understand, I, I belong to God. And together we belong to Him. This ministry belongs to Him. So all of us must resist the temptation ever to think, well, this church is my church. So a person might be tempted to do this. Well, I've been here so long. I've been a member so long that it's more my church than it is some new person's church. And that's not true. That's unbiblical thinking. No matter how long you've been here, it's always been Jesus's church and it will always be his church. He said, no, no, but you don't understand. I have served on every committee, every team. I've gone on countless mission trips. It's kind of more my church. no. No, that's wonderful. You should be that invested in this church, but it's never going to be yours. And by the way, our pastors have the same mindset. It's not ours. We understand this stewardship. We get to shepherd God's sheep and we're sheep too. He's our shepherd also. And so we're brothers and sisters. We have different roles, but all of us, we belong to the Lord. It's his church. We dare not think that it's ours. Now you're out there thinking right now, probably, I bet there's somebody in the church right now he's thinking of who's acting like it's his church or her church. And I can tell you really, in study, preparing for this, I cannot think of a soul in our church that I'm worried about with that point right there. There's nobody. I mean, I gave it a few moments to think. Does anybody come to mind? I can't think of anybody who has this misunderstanding in the church. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? That's the grace of God. So let's just remind ourselves, it will never be ours. It's all his. Jesus is the only head of his body. But I do want you to feel like this is your church in this sense. I want you to use the phrase, my church, when you do this. Well, this is my church. These are my people. I belong. I hope you can say this. I belong there. I love these people and they love me. We support each other through the good times and bad times of life. Come with me to my church. I hope you'll do that. That's the right use of that, my church. You're, you're part of a family. It's like a child going home, asking a friend to come over. Come over to my house. Well, they didn't technically buy it. But we know what they mean. This is my family. You come be with us. Please speak that way. So what is Staples Mill? We're a church of God. We belong to God. We're made up of people who've experienced the grace of God. We're not this building, though we're grateful for the building. We are the people of God. And again, we belong to him. Here's another principle about church that we pick up here. A church is a local gathering. A church is a local community. Verse 2, to the church of God, catch it, that is in Corinth. In Corinth. So these are the believers in a particular city, in a particular congregation at that time. So we're going to be dealing with these Corinthians for months to come now. So let's go ahead and take a moment. Let's figure out, hey, what was Corinth like where this church came to life there through the ministry of Paul? Well, we're going to find that the, the context of Corinth is not that dissimilar from our context here in 21st century America. How so? Well, the church there, or rather the city of Corinth, was a major trade city. 
It was a port city with a lot of commerce and some affluence in the city. Secondly, we know that it was a very ethnically diverse city with with being a port town and ships coming and people coming in from all over the place settling in. There was an intermingling of Romans and Greeks and Jews and Syrians and many, many more. And it was a city that was famous for, we would say infamous for, its sexual immorality. There was a temple in Corinth to Aphrodite, and we're told that they had over a thousand prostitutes working out of that temple. So imagine how immoral a city is in their worship, in their pagan religion, their sexual immorality, central to it. And so so many in that city would have had a a sexually immoral background. It would have been the norm. That's, That's the lifestyle that so many came to Christ out of. In fact, there was a, a verb in those days in the Roman Empire called to, to Corinthianize, which meant to go to the devil. This is the reputation of Corinth. So Paul writes to the church in a very ungodly and morally corrupt city. Not much different from 21st century America, our context. So let's think about some similarities here. We think about where we are here in our part of the greater Richmond area. We're within minutes of a mosque. We're within minutes of a couple of Buddhist temples. We're within minutes of a Hindu temple, and we love all these people. But saddest of all is we live just down the street from a Mormon temple. And this one distresses us the most because it's such dishonesty in the name. It's not the biblical Jesus that they're talking about there or that direction uh, down Staples Mill Road. So I mentioned that just to be on guard again. Don't be deceived by that. It is a false religion, not at all like Christianity. On our website, we have a resource there. If you look under our news tab there, there's one to talk about pointing Mormons to Christ. Again, we love them. We want them to know the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They have been misled. The bicycles will soon be rolling, I'm sure, to knock on your door to tell you another gospel that's not a true gospel. But there's a resource for you. to. How would I handle that interaction? We don't want you being angry, but we want you sharing the love of Jesus, the true gospel with them. But this is our context. So think about who we are. We're the Church of God in Richmond, specifically here, this local body on Staples Mill Road. That's who we are. This is where we are. And this is where we are needed. Have you been realizing with me that I think our location is quite strategic? I think the Lord knew what he was doing by years ago, planting a church here in this location. And I'm so glad that we're here. Here's some other good news. We're not alone. And that's what Paul tells the Corinthians next year. He says, you're together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I think that was a statement, not only true, but to humble the Corinthians. They thought so much of themselves and who they were as a church. I think they tended to forget that there are other believers in Christ elsewhere. Paul's reminding them all over the Roman Empire, churches are being started. People are coming to Jesus and they're following after him. But there's encouragement for us as well. Here we are worshiping Jesus in this local church and we love it. But we also know that God's at work all over his world. And many of you have had that experience. You go to another country, you meet some brothers and sisters in Christ. They might look different than you. They speak a different language than you do, but you love the same Jesus together. And we are kin together. We, We are family together because of Jesus. It's good to know it's not just us right here. I love our state convention, the SBC of Virginia, their slogan, you are not alone. And I love that we are not alone. And I love the fact that even in the city of Richmond, just in the years I've lived here, I've seen more healthy churches here than there were here in the past. I love that some really healthy churches have been planted over the last 20 years or so in the city. I love that. We still need more, 
but I'm grateful for those. I'm grateful for some churches that, that appear to be off their biblical rails that have since then brought in biblical pastors and they've become healthy over the last five, 10 years. That's wonderful. We're not alone here representing Jesus in the city. I'm so thankful for that. Well, here's another principle for church, and it's this. A church is God's people set apart in holiness. A church is God's people set apart in holiness. See these words in verse two again. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So in this corrupt world, we are to stand distinct and different. We're sanctified. Notice here he uses completed terms here. This has happened to you. If you are one who belongs to Jesus, you have been sanctified. That's already been done, meaning you have been made holy. Imagine that. Sinners like all of us, that God could describe us now. We're not in heaven yet. We're not perfected yet. But he would look at us and say, even now, you are sanctified. This word we can use in a present tense, already settled. That's how it's used here. You're sanctified. Also, there's a, a present ongoing sense that we are being sanctified over the years as we cooperate with the Spirit. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. And then ultimately, we'll be glorified. Our sanctification will be complete we're in the, when we're in the presence of the Lord. But Paul reminds these troubled Corinthians, they have been sanctified. That they are in the world, but they're not to be worldly any longer. And that was part of the problem for Corinth, as we're going to see. They're the church of God, a sanctified people in Corinth. But too much of Corinth is still in them. Too many of those old traits from their old life still operating in them. And listen, that could be a struggle for us as well. I know who I am. I know what your word says about me. But am I living that out in my life? Or am I living like my old life used to be? And then this. Notice how he calls them saints. He says, called to be saints. New American Standard says, saints by calling. Do you know that's what a Christian is? A saint. That word literally means a holy one. And again, you go, who, me? A saint? Yes, that's what Jesus has done for you. That's why today has been all about celebrating Jesus. That's why we celebrated the Lord's Supper together. Our sins have been washed away. We've been declared righteous in the sight of God only because of our faith in Jesus, nothing that we have done. Now that word saint seems strange for us because our Catholic friends have given a different meaning to it than the New Testament meaning. Again, we love our Catholic neighbors, but their teaching on saints is not biblical. This week, I watched a one-hour video of a Catholic priest teaching on what they mean by saints. And I thought, I want to be fair to their position, not just give kind of a take on theirs without knowledge. So I listened, and it was a very engaging Catholic priest teaching about it, but it was not biblical. So, you know, in the Catholic understanding of a saint, it's a super-duper Christian. It's a Christian who lived such an exemplary life that people in the church begin to think, hey, I think that one's a saint. And the Catholic church has a process by which they will canonize a saint. And this Catholic priest would talk about that. And he also talked about how he said, we don't worship them, but we venerate them. And we pray to these particular saints so that they will pray for us. Interesting, very interesting. I was not bored during that hour of watching it, but it's just not biblical because here we're told that here are the believers and believers here and elsewhere are called saints you have been made holy by the work of jesus that word is a word that you wear as a saint even now catholic church has added a lot to this in their traditions they even have patron saints 
And so they have a saint for almost anything. And this, this priest described how your patron saint might be a, a saint that was named the same name as you. So you would find a saint with the same name and you could pray to that saint. Again, unbiblical, you shouldn't do it, but that is the teaching. Or maybe your profession, there'd be a patron saint for that profession that you can talk to, to have that saint pray for you. But then it's interesting too, I found a Catholic website where they list 5,222 saints, as they call them. And there are saints you can pray to for certain problems. So there's a, a saint you pray to if you have arm pain. There's a saint you pray to against attacks by animals. There's saints, there are saints you can pray, this is from a Catholic source, that you can pray to against blight, against bruising. There's another one you can do against caterpillars and another one against chest problems. So we're saying that, that's all interesting. That's all extra biblical, we would call it. Again, we, we love our Catholic neighbors. We pray for them. But the, that's not what the scripture says. He calls these Corinthians, as troubled as they were, as we're going to see, he says, you have been sanctified. This is the work of Jesus in your life. You are saints. And again, for us, we think, Lord, I, I want to live like one, though. I want to live like one that you've made holy. You've got to help me in all my weakness. Well, then he concludes this first introduction with verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This became a common greeting for Paul when he'd write. And really, he's combining the Jewish greeting of shalom with this new Christian greeting of grace. And really, that's what we want as believers, to, to come into the family of God through grace and to continue walking in his grace. It's all by him. And to experience this shalom, this peace of God in our lives. This is what Paul wants for these Corinthians. And that's what we want for ourselves. Well, this is how we're beginning this series through 1 Corinthians. How about some application before we go? First point of application. Here's how I pray today. I pray that some of you today will hear the call of God to salvation and that you'll ask Jesus to be your savior today. He called you as we talked about. He's been initiating this relationship with you. Would you respond today by saying, Jesus, I see what you're doing in my life now. I'm understanding that I'm a sinner. I'm understanding that you came and died for me and were raised so that I could be forgiven that I could be brought into reconciliation with you. Jesus, I'm responding to you. You can do that right where you're sitting. Ask Jesus to save you, to take over your life. Secondly, some here today, maybe you've been visiting the church for a while and you've been praying about, is this going to be our church home? I hope that today or soon you will say, yeah, I believe this is where God would want me to plant my life and my family, that we can grow up in Christ together. So pray about that. In fact, we'll have the Route 33 class this afternoon where you can learn more about us. And even in that meeting right after it, if you want to, there'll be no pressure, but you can let me know then. Yeah, I think I, think I do want to join this church family and we can help you through that process. Another thing I hope the Lord will do through this series of messages, I hope this will help some of you believe in the idea of church again. Maybe there was a time you were involved in a church. Maybe you got wounded in that, in that fellowship there and you've been hesitant to get involved in a church again. I hope as we walk through this and we talk about what a real church is over these months, that you'll feel like, you know what? I do want to be deeply involved in a body of believers again. Two more. I pray this series will sharpen us as a church, that we will take on exactly what the Lord would have us be and do as a church that glorifies him. And then this, I'm praying through this whole series that all of us, will grow closer to Christ himself and closer to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we want to thank you again for your word and for here this reminder of grace at the Lord's table, but here in the text of scripture to see what you have offered, what you've initiated, new life, total cleansing, a home in heaven, a purpose now 
all this is so amazing, so gracious of you. And Lord, we just tell you yes to all that you want to do. I pray that you will call men and women, young people to yourself today for salvation. Lord, would you call some into ministry, however you want to use them? Would you give them the faith to respond with a yes to that? God, we just open ourselves up for you to lead, to glorify yourself through all of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.